Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Good morning to you. This is to Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley. Thank you very much indeed for your company. I'm broadcasting to you live from home under lockdown day nine uh, and uh, broadcasting to uh, also from his home, Andre Walker, columnist at the New York Observer. And uh, also now delighted to welcome to the show Housing Communities and Local Government Secretary Robert Jenrick. Good morning to you, Robert. Hello. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. Right. Let's get straight down to business because there are a lot of questions being raised today about uh, testing. Why is the government not reaching even its own target? of 25,000 tests a day. Uh, Not going to be hit until uh, mid-April, we understand now. Just 8,240 tests over the past 24 hours when Germany is testing 70,000 people a day. What is the problem? Well, we do need to go further and faster with testing. As you say, we tested over 8,000 people on Monday. We now have capacity to do significantly more than that, 12,750 tests a day. And we hope that within days, so this week, we will be up to 15,000 and then up to 25,000 by the middle of April. So the numbers are increasing significantly, uh, but there is more to be done. We're also now, because we have extra, extra capacity beyond just those patients who are in critical care, we have now been able to start testing NHS staff. And this began at the weekend when 900 staff were tested And we hope to be able to test very significantly more than that uh, in the days and weeks ahead so that those staff can have the confidence to come to work, that they're healthy um, and uh, can continue to to treat the patients. uh, Okay, but you said... You said at the beginning, we do need to go further and faster. Yeah, you know, tell us something we don't know. And you keep talking about capacity. And minister after minister have talked to us about capacity. There seems to be a very big difference between the capacity of the NHS and how many tests you actually are carrying out. Having a capacity for 15,000 by the end of the week doesn't mean that 15,000 are going to take place. Why not? No, that's right. Well, partly that's because we began on medical advice by testing those patients who are in critical care so that doctors and nurses who are treating them know what condition they have and if they have coronavirus to give them the specific uh, treatment for the virus. Now that we have more tests uh, than we require for that purpose, we can uh, lift the restriction and uh, enable testing to happen at a significant pace for NHS staff. We had previously only been using about 15% of the tests on NHS 
staff that isn't necessary anymore. And so the uh, Professor Steve Powers of the NHS has written to all trusts, asking them now to begin testing uh, at scale NHS staff and to think about a sensible way to prioritise those staff on the basis of the jobs that they do and the risk that they uh, encounter when they come into work. Okay, but we still haven't tackled the issue of why we're still carrying out 8,000 tests when Germany's carrying out 70,000 tests. But Cabinet Office Minister Michael Gove at the press conference yesterday claimed there was a worldwide shortage of chemical reagents. And this is the problem, the difficulty of us trying to get the tests, but the whole world's trying to get the tests. One, why did we not order those first? Two, the Chemical Industries Association apparently say there isn't a shortage of those chemical reagents. And at a meeting they had virtually, you know, on, online with the business minister yesterday, that was not even raised by the business minister. Are we being told well, lies? Uh, well, as, well, as Michael Gove said, um, the uh, reagents are an issue. We are working very closely with British manufacturers and we're very grateful for the support they've given us. We want to continue working with them. If there's more we can do, we can and should do it. Uh, you need access to a range of ingredients and you need all of those ingredients to make a test. Uh, as I understand it, we have access to some, but not all in the but UK. This, but this, hold a second. The, if so, that's but, incorrect, well, no, no, but with all due respect, the Chemical quickly. Industries Association, which represents the UK's chemical industry in this country, they have said there is no shortage of those chemical reagents. If this were an issue, do you not think this might have been something the business minister might have mentioned in the virtual meeting yesterday? Well, the health secretary and the NHS are working extremely closely with British manufacturers, whether it's of uh, the uh, components of tests or of PPE manufacturers or of ventilators. And different countries will have different strengths uh, before the virus. We have some excellent manufacturers which we can and should be making full use of. If you look at ventilators, for example, British manufacturers have done a fantastic job in recent weeks, a number of whom were producing very different products to ventilators, have turned their ingenuity to the task, have produced prototypes which have now been approved by the authorities in the UK. And in fact, we've taken receipt of the first 30 of those ventilators already, and we expect thousands now to be produced uh, over the course of the next week or two. So we will be making use of British manufacturers wherever we can. And many have been absolutely fantastic already in supporting the NHS. Um, the former Labour Health Secretary, Andy Burnham, now Mayor of Greater Manchester, spoke to us a little bit uh, earlier in the show. And he said that it's clear to him that the plan for coronavirus testing isn't working. He said we need a new strategy and we have to try something else. He says he's got a you know, government, uh, sorry, a, a university lab specialist who are, are ready and waiting who can help. Uh, we can perhaps you know, use the universities. We can recruit new people. Is there not time for perhaps a, a bit of a rethink by the government? You know, we, we don't want to be critical. We're not point scoring at this point. This this is about saving lives, but perhaps that the government isn't on top of this and we need to bring some fresh thinking on this process. Do you not think that's the case? Well, the government strategy is not um, set in stone. This is a fast moving situation and it's so our strategy moves with it. And obviously it's led by the expert advisors from the NHS, uh, from uh, the health and uh, scientific community, and they are helping us to so to ramp up production of testing. We're trying to do this in a number of different ways. We're trying to import as many tests as we can, but obviously the nature of global pandemic means that there is a global shortage of these tests because demand is exceptionally high. We're trying to work with British manufacturers and if there are 
labs at universities and elsewhere that we're not making full use of than we should do. Uh, we're also uh, investing in the antibody test, the test which is for those people who have had the virus rather than have it currently. And that's now being tested to make sure that it is a reliable test. If it is reliable, then we have already forward purchased millions of those tests, which should be able to come on board shortly. And of the existing testing um, system, as I say, we are trying to get that production increased significantly. And it, it is now doing so 12,000 uh, also today, 15,000 within days, 25,000 by the middle of the month. Okay. And we're trying to be innovative uh, and listen to the sector wherever we can. For example, um, the deputy chief medical officer said yesterday that we're going to be launching a postal system so that NHS staff can be tested at home uh, if they're self-isolating uh, with their families, for example, uh, know the results quickly and then return to work if that's appropriate to do so. Um, let's talk also about uh, something that comes under more under your remit. Obviously, you're not health secretary, housing communities and local government secretary. Uh, we we also uh, have uh, obviously uh, issues in the community of a lot of people who are uh, worried about uh, their own safety, not just those in the NHS, uh, people working in social care as well, people working in supermarkets and police officers and everyone along the line. Big concern over the lack of PPE, this personal protective equipment. We're told by Jenny Harris, the chief uh, deputy chief medical uh, officer yesterday and again and again that we have enough of this equipment it's there it's in warehouses we have it in the country um it's just clearly not getting to the people who need it many on the front line not just in the healthcare service but other key workers are concerned they're not getting that is there going to be a new system to make sure those people can get hold of all the equipment they need and we don't see people unnecessarily catching coronavirus and possibly risking their lives when they're actually doing their best to keep services going Yes, absolutely. Uh, we are producing now very large quantities of uh, PPE. Uh, I think 170 million items were produced in the last few weeks alone, and we've delivered those to around 58,000 different healthcare settings. So as you say, not just hospitals, but all sorts of other healthcare settings from uh, uh, care homes, pharmacies, GP surgeries, homeless hostels, uh, people working in parts of local government as well. There are gaps and there are people working in those settings who know that their supplies are quite low and that's providing or creating a lot of anxiety. We need to get the supplies out to them as quickly as possible. We're tackling this in a number of different ways. We've created a hotline so that people, uh, whatever your setting, whether it's in a big hospital or you're in a small local care home, have a way of phoning 24-7 uh, ordering the supplies that you need and they should arrive swiftly. We're also involving the armed forces to move supplies around the country in a sensible way because there are stocks in some areas and shortages in others. And then we are now uh, very shortly rolling out a much more sustainable system involving national distribution companies, which will enable those orders to be distributed to each of those uh, 50 or 60,000 different settings quickly. But I entirely appreciate that there is a, a lot of anxiety from uh, people working in the health service. There's also a need for better guidance so that those people working in settings, quite different uh, settings to the NHS, such as bin men, for example, um, get guidance as to what, if any, PPE they actually require to go about their job safely doing an essential public service. And that will be published by okay. Public Health England in the coming days and will hopefully help to guide people as to what they require because PPE is quite a catch-all term 
within it there is a range of different equipment and we want to ensure people are using that equipment appropriately and safely in their own workplace. Okay, just finally, Robert Jenrick, uh, the news of the 393 more deaths yesterday uh, included a 13-year-old boy uh, from South London, uh, Ismail uh, Mohammed Abdul Wahab, um, not known to have any underlying health issues, also a 28-year-old, again, another healthy young man, no underlying health problems. Um, this has brought it home to us, I think, just how many people are at risk of every age. Um, what is your message to talk radio listeners this morning? Well, I mean, every death is a tragedy, uh, but... The death of young people, teenagers, is particularly sobering with the rest of their lives ahead of them. And it does reconfirm to all of us that this virus is indiscriminate. We are all at risk and we can protect ourselves and other people by following the government guidance as much as we possibly can to stay at home, protect the NHS and to save people's lives. This really is on all of us. We all have the power to help save other people's lives and the more we adhere to that advice, the sooner we'll turn the tide and the sooner we can begin to ro roll back some of the very restrictive measures that are having such an impact on other people's lives. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, uh, Housing Secretary Robert Jenrick there. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. 1st of April, yes really, it's April Fool's Day. Nah, sorry, it wasn't a joke, we really are on day nine of our lockdown. Uh, coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk to Toby Young about an article he wrote yesterday, it's caused quite a big stir online, about whether the government has overreacted with this economic shutdown when it comes to the coronavirus. Will it cost or save more lives? Right now though, let's uh, talk to Professor George Lomonosov, who's a virologist at the John Innes Centre about this ongoing issue uh, of uh, testing. Good morning to you, George. Uh, good morning, Julia. Um, lovely to speak to you again. Um, I have to say, we spoke to you just a moment ago, the uh, Housing and uh, Local Government Secretary, uh, Robert Jenrick, and I've got to be honest, answers really came there none when it came to the issue of why we are seeing so much less testing here in the UK uh, compared to countries like Germany. Okay, admittedly, you've got Germany, South Korea, they are top of the, absolute top of the, the line in terms of the number of testing they're carrying out. But what do you think the issue is? We've been told a shortage of chemicals, told a shortage of lab space, told we're trying to import stuff from abroad. Uh, what do you think the issue is? What's the problem and how do we resolve it? Yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, what, what the sort of pinch point is really. I mean, I don't have any incredible insight, say, into the chemical industry's ability to produce the, the chemicals for the test. Um, but just from my knowledge of the way the tests work, I'd, I'd be somewhat surprised if that were really the issue, because you, each test doesn't require an awful a lot, lot of material. It strikes as possibly more a problem of the capacity of the machines, um, these things called the polymerase chain reaction machines, uh, which are needed to carry out the assay. Um, and we have, say, for instance, only 48 um, accredited labs currently in the UK, say, compared with 176 in Germany. Um, and that may well have a reflection how fast they, they can actually do the tests with their machinery. And it strikes me that that's possibly a bit more of the problem than uh, the actual chemicals. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It, it, I have to say, those people who are now speaking up and saying, look, we, we try to be supportive, we assumed you're getting things right, but clearly even on what the government has said they want to do, they are not delivering what they said they want to do. We're now way behind on that target of 25,000 tests a day. And even then, again, that's a capacity as opposed to the actual number of tests being carried out. Perhaps do you think there is time, uh, is time now, as Andy Burnham, the former Labour Health Secretary, has said, for a, perhaps a new strategy? 
Yes, there's various talk about, um, you know, getting... There are these the kind of machinery. It is a fairly common piece of lab kit, and, and so there are lots of those in universities, um, and people have volunteered those to help out. The problem is making sure they're calibrated in the same way so that all the tests are equivalent. And I know certainly people at the John Innes Institute have volunteered to help with that, and that's always very um, good to see. But it's a question of actually being able to deploy that increased capacity and make sure all the, the tests uh, are, are sort of giving the same kind of result. I mean, we heard the, the chief medical officer saying that uh, no test is better than a bad test. You don't want to mislead people, um, and particularly to give false negatives and clear, say people are clear of infection when yeah. they aren't. I mean, that, that is obviously always going to be a concern, isn't it? Uh, Doctor, so Professor George Lomonosov, thank you very much indeed. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. There have been a lot of question marks about the economic lockdown. Huge, huge, huge multi-billion pound uh, package of measures to uh, save people, uh, businesses, workers, uh, self-employed uh, and others, uh, bailing out huge industries even uh, to try and keep our economy going when we do come out of this lockdown. But there have been a lot of people questioning whether or not the lockdown is the right idea. Not every country's done it. Sweden uh, hasn't done it. Singapore hasn't done it. They've gone through different regimes to try and uh, protect their people and their economies. Uh, Toby Young is the General Secretary of the Free Speech Union. Union. Yesterday he wrote an article that, uh, well, dearie me, set social media on fire, as his articles often do, uh, asking whether or not the government was making the right decision to have a lockdown and whether that was going to actually cost more lives in the long term than it would save. Uh, I'd like to say Toby Young joins us now. Good morning to you, Toby. Good morning, Julia. Um, if you could explain uh, just what your, your thesis is, looking at the, the numbers and the numbers being uh, the number of deaths and the cost to the economy of this lockdown. What is your argument here? Well, um, the argument is actually uh, it was made by a professor at Bristol University called Philip Thomas, and it was actually written up in the Times last week. But um, he calculated that uh, if Britain's GDP contracts by more than 6.4% per person over the next two years as a result of a prolonged lockdown, um, that will result in more years of life lost than will be saved by 
a prolonged lockdown. And he's calculating that by estimating the mortality cost of an economic downturn in terms of increased poverty, um, increased violent crime, um, increased suicide and so forth. Um, And uh, to give you an idea of what the economic impact of the lockdown is likely to be, um, most economists think that if it it does last as long as 18 months, and that may be pessimistic, we don't really know at this stage, but if it lasts as long as 18 months, it would likely cause a 15% drop in GDP. And if, if that is the consequence, then it would turn out that the cure is worse than the disease. Um, this is the issue, isn't it? I mean, we know that uh, a lot of people instantly react with, to this, and I've seen some of the responses to you on social media after I retweeted your article. People say, "Oh, right, this is just basically a, a you know killing off a, a culling of the elderly. You don't care about elderly people." That's not what the argument is. Every single government, every single health service makes conscious decisions, maybe behind uh, behind closed doors, so people aren't, aren't honest about this in the public. But uh, decisions about how much is the value of a human life, and we all whether we like to admit it openly or not, put more value, for instance, on the life of, say, a young mum with young children, on on a child over someone who is 95, uh, on someone who's young and healthy as opposed to someone who's old and infirm. We do actually make those choices, and governments and health services and medics do have to make those choices uh, in a crisis. And your argument is that... It's not that older people's lives or currently unwell people who are more likely to die of coronavirus lives are of no value. It's, you don't care about those people dying. Um, it's just that the, the, cost, the economic cost of saving those people will also come with it a huge human cost of saving those people, which will impact on other people whose lives we may choose to value more highly. And I, I know right now, you know, I value my child's life over my own. And, and, and I'm sorry, I think there are an awful lot of elderly people. I certainly know my older relatives. You would say they value their lives now at the end of a long, good life as less of value than, say, a child's life or a young person's life. And, and we need to be honest about that. Yes, I mean, the, the, the way in which the uh, choice is being presented by most politicians in most countries is that it's a choice between the sacred value of human life and these more quotidian uh, secular economic values. And uh, no politician could possibly uh, trade off the former against the latter. And so Rishi Sunak, I think, used the phrase, whatever it takes when justifying the, what, £350 billion bailout that uh, he's agreed to fund. Uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, uh, he said last week, I'm not willing to put a price on human life. So they present themselves as making these kind of morally courageous choices. But actually, the choice is much more difficult. It's much harder than that. The choice is really between the loss of visible life in the immediate future and losing lives that we can't immediately see, invisible lives in the medium term. And um, that's not necessarily a courageous choice. That's just short-termism. It's the kind of typical choice that politicians worried about being re-elected always make. It's not we're going to see the, the, the body bags being piled up in this crisis, but we're not going to see the extra deaths that we are going to see in the future. They're not going to be so visible to us and so politically damaging. That's right. Um, and I, you know, no one is recommending um, that we should do nothing. Um, my recommendation is that we should move as quickly as we can from 
uh, what's, what, what, what the government is referring to and what their advisors are referring to as a suppression strategy, uh, which is complete lockdown and the economy in stasis, uh, back to a mitigation strategy. And as you said in your introduction, um, various governments across the world are pursuing a mitigation strategy. Um, you mentioned Sweden and Singapore. It's also the strategy being pursued in um, Japan. Um, and the body bags uh, aren't mounting up in those countries, even though they haven't locked down their economies. I think we should pursue a mitigation strategy, which means uh, uh, self-quarantining of people who think they've got the disease and people who live in the same households as them, uh, self-isolation of the elderly and the vulnerable, but others should return to work. Now, the argument against that is, well, the NHS will immediately be overwhelmed if you start relaxing some of the social isolation measures. Uh, but it may be that... Um, the Imperial College modelling that the government is basing its decisions on and which show that if we move from uh, suppression to mitigation, some 250,000 unnecessary deaths will result. It may be that that modelling isn't as accurate as, um, uh, as some, some, some uh, uh, okay. authors believe. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.